when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there. If he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? Looking out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soto Mojo Podcast with your host Colby Patnode, and I'm joined as always by Ty Gonzalez. Ty, uh, how are you doing today? Doing well, uh, looking forward to talking some ball. Uh, we only got a few weeks left of, of the season to, to talk about the actual Mariners and what they're doing on, on the field and everything, so uh, trying to, uh, to enjoy the little bits of it. Sure, so on today's show guys, we are going to talk some Justice Sheffield. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about kind of the outline of an off-season plan type of thing uh, entering uh, October and obviously November when we'll start to see trades and things like that. Um, and then we have a few questions that we need to get to, a couple from last week that we missed, and then um, three similar questions uh, at the end of the show. So um, let's let's start uh, with kind of the the best thing that's happened this last week. Um, that was Justice Sheffield looking pretty decent against a pretty good uh, Chicago Cubs lineup. So, um, Ty, what did you think? What did you uh, what did you see from Justice on Monday? Uh, poise, a lot of poise for for a guy making his fourth start in Wrigley Field on Labor Day with a packed out stadium against a really, 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 really good lineup. Uh, not as good as as the Yankees lineup that he faced, of course, but still a, a a lineup that has gone to and won a World Series and uh, and uh, an environment that would intimidate a lot of young pitchers. And uh, I thought he uh, was efficient as as can be. He, he it was definitely you know by far his his best start of his young career, uh, shutting out the Cubs in, in five innings of work and getting. 24 swinging strikes along the way. Uh, just a really impressive day. Uh, was able to make his uh, changeup work a little bit more for him. Uh, got a couple swinging strikes on on, on the uh, or he got one. Sorry, I have Kyle Hendricks mixed in here for some reason. I don't know why. Um, on the, I don't know why it's like that. Okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he had a little bit more uh, success with the changeup. Uh, so that was nice to see, and um, and overall, just a, just a really solid day for him. Uh, you know, got in got into a little bit of trouble uh, each and in, almost every inning, uh, but was able to work around it and um, really showed through strong. I, I was very impressed with his start. Right, um, you know, it's it's becoming pretty clear that uh, the big. Uh, the out pitch for Justice is going to be the slider. Uh, I think we knew that coming in. But you talk about uh, 14 swinging strikes um, on that slider. Um, only one slider was put in play in fair territory, and it was good for an exit velocity of 58.3 miles an hour. Um, they just they couldn't touch that pitch. Uh, we did see a few more change-ups, which we talked about um, after his first start against Toronto or yeah, his first start against Toronto, he only threw like one or two. Um, 
It's a pitch we need to see more. It's still not a great pitch. It's something he's working on. Uh, the separator between that and his fastball right now is only about four and a half miles an hour. Uh, that's not good enough. Four and a half, five miles. It's It's got to be closer to seven or eight um, for that to be a valuable pitch there. Um, but, you know, average fastball about 93. He touched 95 once or twice. He got a ton of strikeouts, a ton of swings and misses. Um, he really, uh, you know, his most impressive, uh, you know, um, moments of that game came against Chris Bryant, who's a really good, uh, you know, top 15 MVP candidate type of player in the national league. Um, and he kind of owned him. He, uh, you know, he got him out with relative ease and, uh, the slider was really working. Uh, and I thought, I thought location was better. Um, I wouldn't say it was great. Um, but you know, those are just kind of the things that you have to work through, uh, when you're going to be, uh, you know, a 23 year old making his first go around the majors as a starter. I thought he was good. Um, it was definitely his best outing. I think that's fair to say. Uh, he, he did look, honestly, he looked somewhat similar to how he looked against the Yankees, um, just with better results this time around. Uh, I, you know, five innings, five hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. He had to throw 91 pitches. You'd like to see him find a way to be more efficient. Uh, but like you said, I, I think poise is an excellent word um, to affix to him. He was, you know, he didn't look rattled. And there was plenty of opportunities for him to lose it. Um, and he just didn't. He, he held his own. Uh, like I said, he competed very hard against a really good lineup. And this is kind of what you what we think you may be able to see uh, from Justice Sheffield going forward. And again, guys, he's 23 years old. I mean, it's not like this is a 27-year-old who just hasn't figured it out. He's 23. Um, he has plenty of time to figure things out. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this at all, but it kind of looked to me like he was um, – he threw a few uh, cutters, uh, it seemed, because there was a few fastballs uh, that were marked fastballs that were like, I don't know, 89 88 mm-hmm. miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so it kind of seemed like he was trying to cut that pitch a little bit in against righties, which is huge because again, if the changeup isn't going to come, he needs that third pitch. And if it's a cutter that could work because he needs something that's going to get out righties. Um, we've seen Marco be really good with the cutter. Um, Seattle actually seems to be able to teach a, cu- a pretty good cutter to most of their pitchers. So uh, maybe that's something he's trying. Maybe not. It's something I'll be watching more carefully in his next outing. Um, but I mean, this is this is about as good as you can hope for um, from Justice Sheffield uh, going into that game. So I, it's it's hard not to be uh, excited about that. Yeah, yeah, I think it was uh, extremely impressive and and very encouraging to see. And now um, we'll see how he goes into his into his next start. Um, who's his uh, Who's his next opponent? Do we know? Houston. Houston, ooh, ooh. <laughs> it does not get easier for him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's his soft opening ended up being Toronto, and since then it's been New York, Chicago, and Houston. So rough, but I mean, this is a this is a huge test to to see what he's got, and you know, I I think you got to feel good about uh, about him coming out of the out of the first two, and we'll see how he finishes out this gauntlet. I, I assume okay. that. Probably his next start after that is, I think they go to Baltimore and Pittsburgh after that. Right, it'll be against a uh, a lesser opponent. Let's say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and you know, 
we don't know how long they're going to roll with justice. Um, you know, you got to figure at some point there will be an innings cap that he'll hit. Um, you know, as I pull it up right now, um, he has thrown a total this season of uh, 133 innings. His career high is 127.2, and that was uh, in 2015. So he's already passed his career high. He's probably scheduled to make four more starts, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he goes five innings in each, then you're looking at 153. Uh, so he might he might be able to stick in the rotation all year. Uh, I don't know what their plan is pitch count or uh, innings-wise, but he's he's getting pretty close there. So he's already set a new career high, but we'll see how long he lasts. Um, but, you know, this is the type of thing we said we wanted to see in September. We wanted to see the young guys come up, and we wanted to see growth. And uh, I think we have. I, I think, you know, Justice has already shown growth from the first time he came up back in May all the way until now. Um, and it's exciting. I, I, I think, you know, it's a good reminder that when the Mariners acquired Justice Sheffield, there was a lot of reason to be excited, and there still is. So um, it was one of my favorite outings of the year. So, yeah. So, um, Let's transition that a little bit here um, because we had two questions from uh, Oliver last last week uh, that we just missed. We didn't get to. I totally forgot about them. Uh, so that's my bad. But we're going to answer them both. We're going to answer at least one of them right here. Um, Oliver asked last week before this outing, um, what are the odds Justice Sheffield becomes what Paxson was for the team as a number two type of starter? So, Ty, I mean, I... What do you think the odds are that Justice Sheffield can turn into a James Paxson type of pitcher? Um, I think I, I don't think that's a very fair comparison. I, I know obviously you got to compare the two because they were traded for one another, but I think Sheffield's more of a steady number three in the middle of a good rotation. Yeah. Um, and I think this rotation has the chance to be a pretty good one with when you consider Logan Gilbert and Justin Dunn and George Kirby, et cetera, over the next who, you know, who will be in there over the next couple of years. And I think justice is kind of that rock in the center of the rotation. I think he's kind of just the, 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 the number, the really solid number three could be a number two in other rotations t- kind of guy. And I don't know if he'll, ever be able to put up the strikeout numbers that James Paxson can. Um, I think that really depends on, you know, if he can continue to, to make the slider work for him, that's been, as you said, the, the out pitch for him. And if that continues to develop for him and it and really becomes his crutch here as his career moves forward, I think, he could get similar strikeout numbers, but it's just, it's hard for me to say that he could be the next Paxton or do what Paxton was able to do here. I think they're just two very different pitchers in terms of stuff and, and what they bring to the table. And uh, I think Sheffield will, I think Sheffield has the chance to be a more consistent out getter. Um, but until he gets the command issues fully under control, I, I, I can't see him being more than a, than a three. Right. They, you know, they're just different even stature wise. I mean, 
Justice Sheffield is, you know, barely, he's what, barely six foot tall, 200 pounds is what they list him at. I, I don't know if he's even quite there. Um, whereas Paxton is this long levered six, four, two forty, long arms type of guy. Um, I think it's possible. Uh, I, I, I do like that. You called James Paxton a number two. Um, I feel like a lot of people assume that he's a, he's an ace and I don't know if he's an ace. Um, I think he's a solid number one. Uh, he can anchor a good rotation, but in a great rotation, you probably want him as your number two. Um, I don't know if Sheffield gets there. Uh, I will say this, uh, Justice Sheffield has a better chance of, you know, uh, harnessing his command as a 23 year old than James Paxton had as a 23 year old. Um, Mm -hmm. just, Justice Sheffield is just a significantly better athlete. Um, you know, you can see it in the way he clears his hips, his rotation, his delivery is much more compact. He just has a better chance of being a strike thrower than James Paxson did at the same time. Now Paxson came up and, uh, you know, he worked, um, he worked with the Mariners and it wasn't easy. You know, there, we, we all remember the growing pain, uh, pains with James Paxson. It took him a few years, uh, to come up and consistently throw strikes. I mean, he was, he's old, he was old, the numbers were always pretty good in Seattle, but anybody who watched him would look at it and go, yeah, you know, there's just, the walks are an issue. He's not reaching his potential as a strikeout guy. I mean, his first 30 starts in Seattle, he averaged fewer than, uh, he averaged about seven and a half strikeouts per nine, did Paxton. Um, then his age 27 season, age 27 season hit, he came up, he struggled early. They sent him back down. He came back up, and next thing you know, he's striking out almost nine guys per nine, and he's only he's walking under two. And then that just kind of took off from there. So um, I don't think that Sheffield is, you know, a a low low end number one like James Paxson is sometimes, um, but I still do think that trade is going to work out uh, because remember, you don't need Justice Sheffield to be James Paxton for that deal to work for you. Uh, you know, in the first two years, you need Justice Sheffield to give you the same value over his six years that James Paxson gave you over two, because the two years that James Paxson was going to give you value weren't going to be years that you were going to win. So, uh, you know, I, I th- just comparing the two, Sheffield is a better bet to be a good major league starter than James Paxson was at this age. Uh, if you're comparing the two pitchers right now as they stand on September 4th, 2019, no, Sheffield probably isn't going to get to where Paxson was. But when Paxson was 23, it was highly unlikely that Paxson was going to get to where Paxson is, if all that made sense. So um, there's still a lot of development to go. And I think, you know, I, I think Justice is going to be fine. I think Ty's right on board. He's probably going to be a number three or a number four. Um, and I think he's going to be the type of guy, if he's your, if he's your number four starter, you have a really good rotation. Um, and it might take him a couple years to get there. Uh, and that's fine. Seattle has a couple years to give him. So um, not quite James Paxson, but still uh, I think will be a rock solid uh, starting pitcher. And if not, the fastball changeup combo work more than are well, are more than good enough to be a high leverage guy in the bullpen. So um the Mariners are going to get something out of Justice Sheffield, just probably not James Paxton in 2019. 
if right. all that made sense. Right. So, um, so now that we're kind of we're on kind of on the question bus here, so let's let's keep rolling with our questions. How about that? Sure. Um, so Oliver again, he sent in a, another question last week, um, and it's similar to the Just Sheffield. He wants to know what kind of role Yusei Kikuchi is going to play in the future of the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, the transition between Japan and Major League Baseball isn't smooth, isn't always that smooth, um, but he seemed to be a certain uh, uh, definite disappointment, says Oliver. So, Ty, what what do the Mariners uh, do with, what do they do with Yusei, and what's his role going forward? I, I say let's wait until we see what he does in year two. Um, I think this year he had a lot going on in his personal life. We talked about this. He had a son. His father passed away. He's adjusting to a new country, a, a new league, a new ball, etc. Um, you know, his first start was in Japan in Ichiro's last game, Ichiro being his childhood hero growing up, etc. There's been a lot of emotions going around for, for Yusei Kikuchi this year um on a personal level it's just uh, it's been a it's been a really tough year for him and uh and you got to feel for the guy and um you know he's shown flashes of being dominant i was at his best game this year in, in toronto and he looked fantastic and and i think he has the potential to be that kind of pitcher that can be that that can bend and not break on most nights and potentially give you one of those starts where he can just throw a complete game shutout every now and then. I think he has the potential to do that, to be a solid number four um, in, a, in a good rotation. Um, and I I hope that's, that's what uh, comes out of this for him um, by the time that the Mariners are ready to compete. But, you know, it, it, it hasn't been a good year for him. And um, but I think it's a lot of outside stuff that, that has played a factor into that. And, um, you just, you gotta allow him some time to, to adjust and, and grow. And I think you saw some positives this year out of Yusei Kikuchi. And I think next year, um, with less on his mind, hopefully, and, and um, year of experience and, and what to expect and, spring training and everything, you know, getting into a more normal routine. Uh, hopefully that will, will help him uh, next year. And, and hopefully the results will reflect that. Right. Um, like I said, for me this year, you know, setting aside all the, all the off the field stuff, um, which certainly you have to factor in. Um, the biggest disappointment in you say Kikuchi to me has been the command. Um you know, he, it's not that he was supposed to have pinpoint command, but he was supposed to be above average. Um, he had his walk weight, uh, walk rate is pretty high, 7.2%. Um, and he's just not striking out enough guys to get away with that. Um, it, it is interesting stuff wise. Um, you know, the slider has been very good. The fastball has been very good. The curveball has been good at times. And there have been a few handful of starts where he's had all three working. And that's when he gets you complete game shutouts in Toronto and he goes in the Yankee stadium and goes seven and a third or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the command has been poor. Um, and that's the big issue right now, particularly with the fastball. Um, it is interesting to me that you look at, um, the similar type of pitchers. If you guys aren't using baseball savant, you really should. It's a great tool. 
here's a list of the similar type of pitchers that they give to Yusei Kikuchi based on velocity and movement of pitches. All right. Not numbers, just stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. He compares uh, favorably to 2019 Danny Duffy, eh. uh, 2019 Daniel Norris, eh. 2019 Mike Miner. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 2019 Kyle Freeland. Eh, not Ooh. a good year, but you know, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 2019 Robbie Ray. Pretty okay. good. Yeah. I mean, those are five solid lefties. Mike Miner and Robbie Ray are probably the best guys on that list, but those are five solid guys that, um, you know, deserve shots in major league rotation. So, um, I, I think the future is you, he's locked into one of your rotation spots next year. Um, if the struggles continue as, uh, you know, significantly as they have this year, then you have a real discussion, but you do need to remember that, um, the Mariners have uh, a lot of leverage in that contract that they gave him. Uh, they can opt out after three years. Um, you know, you say could opt out. You say can, uh, make it a four year deal if he wants. Uh, and he probably would take that if he's continuing to struggle like he is. But it's only $14, $15 million a year. That's not going to kill you. Um, so there's no reason to not give him next year to try and figure that out. I still think he's kind of a middle of the rotation arm. Um, you know, he's a number three. I still think uh, stuff wise, the names I just gave you, those guys are all, uh, you know, number three, number four types with upside. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I think there's some uh, some chance here. The pitch mix is works out pretty good. Uh, like I said, the stuff is good. It's just the command. Um, and when you look at 144 innings, um, and he's given up 35 home runs, I think it is. Uh, and he's just walking guys uh, left and right. It's just you have to be better than that, um, and I think he will be. So I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him another year. Uh, I don't want to draw any real conclusions here. Um, like I said, the stuff to me looks fine. The uh, command is not, and you have next year to figure out what he is. And if he's not what you think he is, then you know you got survive two more years at him making, I don't know, eight, 9% of your total payroll. It's not that big of a deal. So, um, you know, the Mariners, uh, they're not going to move on from him and they have no reason to. So Kikuchi will be in the rotation next year, probably be in the rotation the year after. And then after that, who knows? But, uh, I, I don't really feel much different about Kikuchi now than I did back in, uh, you know, March. So, Mm-hmm. we'll see how it all works out for him but uh like i said disappointing year uh sure i think that's fair um yeah. is it time for us to drastically shift expectations on him not in my opinion uh but i do understand people who are doing that so um sure. yeah. I, I i think it's a fair question to ask but uh he's going to be in the rotation next year uh barring an injury and you can uh, you can take that to the bank that's going to happen all right, so let's keep rolling along with our questions here. Um, we have a couple similar type of questions. So uh, Dino uh, on Twitter, at Dino, D-I-N-O-O-O, 6252351. Really, there was that many more Dinos? Um, please anyway, get yourself a better Twitter username. <laughs> please, because he sends us questions all the time, and they're usually pretty good questions, but... That is a mouthful to say. I think he's in our fantasy baseball league as well. 
Um, he would like to know who do we think has the higher ceiling between Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. And um, this question was also asked by uh, at Seattle underscore Oh nine. So I guess we'll answer both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like we've, we've talked about this the last couple weeks, um, but Ty, I don't know, maybe your opinion has changed or just, just get it out there again. Get it on the record officially. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't changed. We we talked about it on the last podcast and, and we talked about it on the one that didn't end up going out. Um so I think that's that's why it feels like we've talked about it so much. So um but my stance is still the same. I think Jared Kelnick has the higher ceiling. I think they have two very different ceilings. Uh I think Jared Kelnick has the higher ceiling of being an all-around five-tool star. Um, And I think Julio has the chance to be a potential, um, you know, silver slugger, um, potential MVP type of candidate type of player. I I think that's like the ceilings for both of those. But I think Kalanick has the better tools. Overall, just gives you more value on the base pass, gives you a better value uh, defensively. Um, you know, I think Kalanick could one day win a gold glove in a corner outfield spot. Um, I, yeah, I, I think overall, I, I still view Kalanick as the better all-around player. I think Julio could be the better hitter. Um, but in terms of just overall ceiling, I, I think Kalanick is going to be the, the better player. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I think the highest upside with just the hit tool alone and the power um, is probably Julio, but it's close. Um, And then defensively in base running, I don't think it's going to be all that close. Not that Julio Rodriguez will be bad at either of those uh, particular skill sets, but I just think Kelnick has a chance to be plus. For me, it's kind of similar to – it's not a perfect comparison, but it's the first one that kind of came to mind. It's like Mookie Betts versus J.D. Martinez. Uh, J.D. Martinez is a better bat, but it's close, you know. But Mookie Betts is the guy you much rather have because he's significantly better in the bases and on the field. So, um, like I said, that's not a great comparison. So don't quote me on that. But that's just kind of what it is. I think hit tool. I, I think if there, if there's a good possibility that both of these guys are middle of the order perennial all stars with the bat. Uh, I just I think you know you're talking about you know MVP level numbers. I think Julio is more likely to get there than Kelnick. Uh, but again, you have to factor in base running, you have to factor in arm, you have to factor in defense, um, you have to factor in probability. Um, and for me, that all still points to Kelnick. So um, yeah, Kelnick has the higher upside, but I think both both players have um, the potential to be MVP candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, during their time in Seattle. So it's like, would you rather have a hundred dollars or two fifties? You know, it's, it's really the same thing. Um, but I, I, I'd rather have Kelnick. All right. I think Kelnick has the higher upside, I should say. All right. Yeah. So Kelnick over Julio, but not a lock. And also maybe not forever. Um, but for now, uh, Kelnick over Julio in terms of higher ceiling. Um, and then Seattle, uh, Seattle nine, um, good Twitter follow there. Um, he has an additional question. Uh, 
with the same premise. Who has the higher ceiling, Logan Gilbert or George Kirby? Ty, uh, who are you taking? Um, ooh, that's that's a tough one, uh, especially because Kirby's only pitched so little in, in professional ball. But, um, hmm. I mean, really, the question is who who do you think is more likely to become an ace? Because I, I think we were both in agreement that both Gilbert and, and Kirby have the potential to be uh, a number two to number three. Sure. At, uh, so I think, I, I don't know. I, that, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to defer that one to you. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really know how to attack that. Uh, we're talking strictly upside um, or ceiling. For me, it's Logan Gilbert. Um, I think there's more in that arm right now. He's sitting 92 to 94. I think it's a possibility in a year he's sitting 94 to 96. Uh, the stuff is better. Command is good, not quite as good as Kirby, but still good. The stuff is just better. Um, they're both roughly the same age, so there's not really a that big of a gap there. Uh, if you're asking me which one is most likely to pitch in the big league in a big league rotation for 10 years, I'd probably say Kirby. Um, but you're asking me who has the highest ceiling. I think Kirby's ceiling is probably, you know, a number, a really good number three. Um, maybe just maybe if the stuff improves a little bit, um, it, he's a number two, but the stuff right now is really playing up because of the pinpoint command. Um, and like I said, Gilbert's no slouch command wise. Um, if Kirby's a 65 command guy, uh, on the 2080 scale, then Gilbert's a 60. Um, so the stuff is just, is just better for Gilbert, I think. Um, but, uh, ask me again in a year. And I might have a different answer for you. Um, of course, in a year, Logan Gilbert will probably have a handful of starts with the Mariners under his belt already. Um, but and Kirby could be on his way to to making at least an appearance in September. Um, yeah, it's not point. out of the question. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of good, a lot of things could come out of that. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think I'm in agreement with you just on on Gilbert. I think. Um, availability also plays a, a little bit of a factor that that Gilbert is closer. So right now you sure. kind of have to favor favor Gil- Gilbert over over Kirby. Um, but I think two are just really. I think the both of them are just really strong pitching prospects, and I, I think both will be uh, hopefully uh, key members of a of a contending rotation for years to come. Sure, uh, I think. What's interesting here is um, there have been two comps that have been laid on Logan Gilbert, and I don't remember who laid them. Uh, at least I read and listen to a lot of Mariners content, so they. The, I, I apologize for whoever made these uh, comps. Not that you're listening, I'm, I'm sure, but uh, somebody laid a Jimmy Nelson comp on Logan Gilbert. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, the pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, who has been injured the last few years, but when he starts, he's just a really good uh, number two. And somebody else laid a uh, a John Lackey comp on him, hmm. and I know that John Lackey isn't, you know, the sexiest name, but uh, the dude was a really good pitcher. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I I feel like, you know, there was a point there. Lackey and like had a four or five year stretch where 
you know, he was a number two, or at the very least a number two. He was uh, a five-win pitcher from 2005 to 2007. Yeah, 5.3 so, F4 in, in 05, 5.3 again in 06, and uh, five right on the dot in 07, so... Yeah, I mean that that's a number two at least. Um, so yeah, I, I I think those are fine. I think those are fine comps. I would I would give the edge. I'm still giving the edge to Gilbert. Uh, I did, I think he just has a little bit more upside. Um, I think Kirby has the higher floor. But again, we're talking about. I, I'll just word it this way: we're t- Gilbert has like a 70 upside, and Kirby has like a 60 65 upside. Whereas the floor is Kirby's at like a 60 floor and Logan Gilbert's at like a 55. You know what I mean? So it's just, they're very close. I just, I think Gilbert's just got the better stuff there and mm-hmm. therefore has the better chance um, to reach his ceiling, which is probably a low end one, high end two. Yep. All right. Um, so we actually just got a, a late question in here, but uh We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, so let's get to uh, William Lofton uh, at WLOFT, WLOFT96 on Twitter. Uh, he would like to know who our favorite non-top 10 prospect is. Uh, I'm going to assume he's talking about our yet-to-be-released top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Ty, is there somebody who's just outside the top 10 that you're uh, you're looking at? Uh, playing you know, I re- flag in. Yeah, I really like uh, what LJ Newsom has done this year. Uh, yeah. He landed at what uh, number eighteen on our list, um, and you just you put out twenty through sixteen a couple days ago. So go read that uh, sotomojo.com. Quick little plug, uh, but yeah, uh, I think LJ Newsom has, has made great strides in in um, in uh, becoming a, a legitimate prospect for for the for the Mariners now obviously the strikeout numbers haven't haven't uh been as uh strong in in double a since he's he's moved on to double a but he's also just been solid uh within the travelers uh rotation really isn't giving up a whole lot I think the most runs he's given up in a start he's made nine starts now or eight starts he's only given up three three runs in a start uh I think he's just a solid overall pitcher that could be potentially a, a, a number five or or raise the stock even further to be a, a pretty solid trade piece once the once the Mariners start go out going out to buy. Um yeah, I think there's a lot to like about um LJ and of course I gotta throw uh Noel V. Marte out there as well. Um some uh you know, a lot of people have him in, in the top ten and and um uh, you know, I'm kind of spoiling things for our list here, but uh, you know, I, I really like Noel V. Marte. He's he's had a very similar season in the DSL to to what Julio did last year, and um, you know that's encouraging to to maybe think that he could have a Julio type of season next year. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that, those are two guys that I really like outside of the top ten. Um, you know, and obviously you you and I love ourselves some Damon Cassetta Stubbs. Uh, we also love Donnie Walton. So um, those are, you know, a couple more lower tier guys, if you want to consider them that, uh, that we, uh, that you and I both really like. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, LJ Newsom and Noel V. Marte are the two big names that stand out to me. I also really like Brandon Williamson. Yeah. Uh, 
that's who I'm going to talk about here. Um, fairly recently, my interest in Brandon Williamson has kind of gone through the roof. Um, he was the second round pick out of TCU in this year's draft. Uh, so he was after George Kirby, uh, before Isaiah Campbell. Um, and at the time they made the pick, I thought that was, I thought it was okay. Um, you know, now again, I'm learning more about Williamson. I'm getting to see him with the Mariners. I'm getting to read about his starts and look at, uh, look at certain things. Um, it's highly probable I was way too way too low on him. Um, we're talking about a six six lefty who still has room to grow. He's only two hundred ten pounds, um, so he still has room to add a lot of good weight. And he's throwing ninety five ninety six miles an hour with a with a sweeping slider and an actual chance to have a couple of uh, at least one more above average pitch, if not two. I mean, that's legitimately what we're talking about here. Is a tall, hard-throwing lefty who could have four above-average or better pitches. Um, yeah, we're talking about a guy that could compare to James Paxson. Right, exactly. This, this might be the guy. Yeah, if you're looking for a Paxson type of guy in the system right now, it might be Williamson. Um, and like I said, he says, he says, you know, he's got to improve his control and command, obviously. Um, and like I said, the fastball slider right now, they play right now in the big leagues and the curveball and changeup are behind, but they're not lost causes. I think there's a chance both could end up being average or better. Um, and if even one of them does, you're looking at a legitimate number three type of starter with upside. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to effort some more information out of uh, the one or two people in pro ball that I can talk to about this thing. But, I, man, I, I really like this guy. I think there's a possibility here that, a year from now, we're talking about him being in the top 10, and I don't mean barely. I mean, you know, in the 6-7 range, um, you know, based somewhat on graduation rate, but there's a lot of upside here, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I was I was too low on him coming out of the, coming out of, uh, the draft. I'll admit that, but uh, I, like you said, I think there's a little James Paxson here, and I don't know that he's all that far away. He'll turn 22 in April. Um, he'll probably start next year in West Virginia. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to make that Logan Gilbert, uh, type of rise, but I could see him finish the year in Modesto, uh, pretty easily. I think, you know, he'll probably, uh, be teammates with George Kirby for a while and Kirby will get the call up. If anybody's going to end up in double a next year, it's going to be George Kirby. Um, but yeah, I, I really like Brandon Williamson. I think we're probably, uh, or at least I think I'm too low on him. Um, and so when we do the re-ranks next spring, decent chance he rises. Um, I like him a lot. Yeah. Isaiah Campbell's another guy that we haven't talked yep. about as well. And, uh, uh, I'm a big Isaiah Campbell fan as well. Yeah, man, this, the, uh, the Mariners just rock that draft. They really, uh, yeah. rounds one through two <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rounds three and four. Eh, but you know, cutting corners. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But uh, that's okay. Um, all right, so uh, the final question we got for this week um, is from Julio the Future. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at J Rod Show Junkie. Um, you guys can guess who his favorite player is. Uh, he would like Jared us. Jared Kelnick, clearly. I mean, right? Oh man, I was reading Kyle Lewis into that, but I guess you're probably right. Um, 
He wants to know at what point in the season do we expect to see Julio Rodriguez in double A Arkansas? We've talked about this a little bit, Ty. You're a bit more optimistic than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but when do you expect to see Julio make the jump to double A? I think he's going to start the season there. I really do. I, I, I firmly believe it now that after the success that he showed in high A, I think he's just too advanced for that league. And the Mariners have shown that they are going to be aggressive with their promotions. Uh, they were very aggressive in, in placing uh, Julio in West Virginia to start the year. They were very aggressive in calling up Jerry Kelnick to double A. And I think they're going to continue that and be aggressive in calling up Julio to to uh, uh, Arkansas to start the season. I think they're going to give him a legitimate chance, and this is still a pretty slim chance, but I think they're going to give him a real chance to um, potentially push for for a call up in, in September. Um, I think he, I, I think he's that advanced, and I, I think he could take to it well. And I, I think that they have a lot of confidence in him translating his game from from high A to to double A with very uh, little hiccups. I, I really, uh, what the more that I think about it, the more that it makes sense to me. I, I really think that he's going to start in in Arkansas. Yeah, um, for me, it's not uh, not quite as optimistic. Um, I'm still very optimistic long-term, obviously. Um, I think he'll probably start the year in Modesto again. Uh, how long he'll be there, I don't know. It could be a week. It could be, you know, a month. I, I think, you know, if he continue, if he goes down to Modesto next year, right, and he's 80% of what he was in his 17 games there this year, they're probably only going to be there another 17 games. Um, I, I just think, you know, there's still some things to work on. He's going to go to the Arizona Fall League, so that, that could change my answer um, here in the next uh, month or two. But I still think for me, I would say I would pencil him making the jump to double A sometime between, you know, the middle of May and early June, um, which would put him on track for a potential September call up um, as well. So. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously we, ha- we have to see that he's healthy. He has to get through the off season and spring training healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible. He starts the year in double a, I just think it's more likely he goes back to Modesto. They just make sure of a few things. And then it could, like I said, it could be as little as two weeks and he's in double a Arkansas. And if he's in Arkansas before, you know, June, uh, then the odds of him getting at least a cup of coffee in September is, uh, probably higher than 50%, I would think. So, mm-hmm. um, let me say it. So Ty says he'll start there. Um, you know, and it's worth noting, you did say the Mariners are being aggressive. Um, it's, it's worth noting because in the past we've seen this as a bad thing. They were aggressive on Dustin Ackley or they weren't aggressive enough on sending Dustin Ackley back after he struggled. They were really aggressive on Mike Zanino bringing him up. Those didn't work. Um, Mm-hmm. But the Mariners aren't being aggressive just for the sake of getting these guys to the big leagues. They're being aggressive because these guys are showing that or they're forcing their hand and the Mariners aren't ignoring it is basically what's happening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Mariners will be aggressive if Julio makes them be aggressive and he has every chance to do that. So uh, for me, it's still May or June, um, middle of May, I think six weeks, give or take in Modesto. And then he'll be off to uh, to Arkansas. Um, but who I- knows? 
I think if he does struggle quite a bit in the Arizona Fall League, I think that could swing their decision to keep him in Modesto. But I think if he... Not to say that he'll have Modesto-like numbers in the Arizona Fall League, but if he does have some success there, I think they'll they'll feel pretty confident in moving him along. But uh, but we'll see. Yeah, don't don't focus on the numbers, guys. By the way, yeah, of the Arizona Fall League, uh, we want to see him make hard contact. We want to see him not chase pitches. Uh, you know, if he if he only hits two hundred or whatever, but he's swinging, but he's still swinging at good pitches, still making good decisions, still hitting the ball hard then nobody cares. That's a very successful uh, fall league for Julio Rodriguez. So mm-hmm. um, thank you guys for the questions. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show today with a little exercise here, uh, understanding that our full deep dive into Mariner specific off season topics still probably, you know, three, four weeks away. Um, but we did want to, we do know you guys are excited about that. We're excited about it. Um, so we do kind of want to start to just throw an outline out there of what we think the Mariners uh, need to look at this offseason or what would what would make a successful offseason for the Mariners. Um, last week we talked about uh, we went kind of around the diamond at positions and said, well, they could look at here. They could look at here. Um, but let's let's start laying out kind of an outline, a rough outline mm-hmm. of what we would like this offseason to look at or look like. So. Ty, uh, let's just let's just start here. Um, let's first and foremost, what do you think is the most important thing the Mariners could do this off season? Uh, number one on their shopping list. Well, I think we you know we talked about this a little bit last week when we did our position preview for the off season, and that's to acquire a significant starting pitcher, not just any starting pitcher, but a guy that you can plant in the middle of your rotation uh, or towards the top. Um, You know, if that's in free agency, if that's some guy like Alex Wood or something like that, or you can get a Zach Gallon type of deal, like what uh, what the Diamondbacks were able to swing at the deadline. uh, I think that's your, your biggest goal. I, you know, we really like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, uh, Justice Sheffield, Justin Don, etc. Um, but you got to prepare for you know some of these guys perhaps not working out, or some guys not reaching their full potential, or some guys just strictly being really valuable to you in a potential trade, or uh, or something like that in the future. So um, it's never a bad thing to add talent, and if you can add young major league talent to your to your rotation uh, that you hope can can continue or that can stick around for for years to come i i would love to see them add that um again if that's your zach gallon type of, of pitcher or if it's taking a chance on someone like alex wood or or going after someone like zach wheeler um i think getting one of those guys that can that you know for a fact will be one of your best three pitchers um would be huge for them to to snag here be, you know, the year before they're they're going to kick this thing into high gear because uh, we got to assume that the 2021 offseason is going to be a very busy one for them and a very important one for them. So this one kind of sets it up for them. And um, if they're able to get that pitcher, I, I would be very happy coming out of the offseason. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's number one for me, too. I think you have to come away from this offseason with at the very least a good number four type of starter. Um, you know, preferably you're looking at 
you know, a number three or higher guys like Jake Odorizzi or Alex Wood, or maybe it's, you know, you trade for Noah Syndergaard or whatever it is. Um, I think you have to add that type of pitcher. Um, somebody who is a lock to make your, your rotation, um, and has the potential to pitch in the middle of it for a couple of years, at least. Um, they said just, you know, trying to sign Rick Porcello to a one-year deal isn't going to qualify as this type of move for me. Um, you know, you got to spend some significant money and maybe, like I said, maybe it's Michael Pineda, maybe it's Zach Wheeler, maybe it's Oda Rizzi or Wood, or maybe you trade for your Zach Gallen or you trade for, you know, like, or maybe you go big and you go Noah Syndergaard or, you know what I mean? It just, it has to be something, an impact arm in the rotation. That's got to be number one for me. Um, so I, I'm in agreement there with you. Um, mm. what would be kind of number two on your to-do list? Um, I think get rid of D Gordon and as much money as you can off of his contract, uh, and start to figure out what you're going to do with your second base, uh, position. Um, I think that's kind of a big deal that isn't going to get resolved until D is gone and you can't really start to try and resolve it until D is gone. Right. Um, so yeah, I would, I would prefer if they were able to trade him, uh, this off season and he's having an okay finish to the season. Yeah. So I think he's, I think he's rebuilt some trade value and I think teams will be interested. It's just going to depend on how much money. Uh, that they're willing to eat. Sure. Um, number two on my to-do list would be to, um, for lack of a better term, clear the outfield backlog. Um, the Mariners have a lot of outfielders, and a lot of their top prospects who are close to the big leagues are also outfielders. Um, so I would like them to see come to some kind of uh, – decision on Mitch Haniger and Domingo Santana and Malik Smith. Um, because I, I do feel like it's possible that guys like Jake Fraley or Braden Bishop are traded this winter. Um, I think it's more likely though, that one or two of those veterans that I just mentioned are traded. Um, so I would like to see them come to some kind of, um, decision on them. Is, is Mitch Haniger going to be here long-term or are you going to trade him? Um, you know, is Domingo Santana, are you going to maybe play him at first base or is he going to be DH next year or is it just time to move on from him? And well, I mean, what the heck is Malik's to you? Uh, he's, you know, made several base running blunders in the last week or the last uh, few weeks. He's gotten benched already this, uh, this month or last month. Um, you know, the defense has been disappointing, although much better since April. And the bat has been, you know, really streaky. So, I mean, what is Malik Smith to you? Is he a part of the future or is he somebody maybe you look to trade? Um, I would like to see them start making some decisions on the outfield. Um, as it stands right now, you know, for me, it, it's Domingo Santana is pretty obvious. Um, and then I would, I would like to really aggressively shop Mitch Haniger, um, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to take, you know, 50 cents on the dollar for Mitch Haniger, even mm. though he's coming off of a bad and injured year. Um, so, yeah, I would just like to see some clarity because there's a lot of young outfielders that the Mariners need to get uh, playing time for because you need to see what they are and what they do. Uh, Jake Fraley and uh, Braden Bishop right now are chief among them. Um, and I think you need to move at least one outfielder 
to open up that spot for them. Um, and we'll see what they do. So yeah, clearing that backlog of outfielders is probably number two on my priority list. Yeah. Especially when you consider that, you know, Kyle Lewis will have a chance to make the team out of spring training if he is still with the team, uh, by then. And, um, you know, like you said, Braden Bishop and, and Jake Fraley and, you know, and, and eventually, you know, Kalanick could be up next year uh, by September. Uh, Julio is, as well will have that chance. So you're going to have a lot of your young outfielders knocking on the door. So I, I agree with that. And um, I think maybe it's shed long. I mean, yeah. you know, so. Yep. So, so I think my, my my last uh, my last thing on my to-do list would be first base i think to address first base in some capacity um and now you know we talked about it in our position preview was um you know it really depends on what happens with austin nola um and the backup catching situation if nola becomes the backup catcher if they're able to trade one of narvaez or murphy um if not i'm okay with Austin Nola starting the season at first base. I think he's done enough this season to earn himself at least a shot at that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what options uh, pop up there, but there are a few veteran names that could be had on a minor league deal. Someone like Ryan Zimmerman may make some sense. Someone like Justin Smoke may make some sense uh, to perhaps get a guy that could be solid enough for you to maybe be able to trade him for a C level prospect at some point. Um, I mean, Ryan Healy even. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's typically a lot of first base types available um, in the winter. It's not really a hard position to fill. I would say, um, you know, it just seems like everybody's got a first baseman who just kind of hits and it's, you know, seems like every organization has a Luke Voigt that they can, that you can take a chance on. Um, so yeah, first base, pretty, pretty good one there. Uh, like I said, for me, the two, the two biggest ones for me are definitely the starting pitching in the outfield. Um, and then after that, there's a few other things I would like to see them address first base as well. Um, I would like to see them, uh, find a way to trade D Gordon, uh, as you mentioned earlier as well. And I would also like to see them add, a Hunter Strickland type of reliever or two um, just to kind of, you know, just to kind of try and regain value from, um, you know, a Sergio Romo or a um, Cody Allen or, you know, somebody like that. Um, you just kind of try and rebuild some value. If it doesn't work, whatever you cut them. Um, but if it does work, you might get yourself a Taylor Gilbo type of uh of reliever in return. And, uh, that's, that's worked out pretty well for the Mariners so far. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, just again, rough outline, we'll go into much greater detail with actual names and things like that, uh, in our off season plan. But, um, I think, you know, through the course of this, you mentioned pretty much my entire list, uh, with the things that I didn't mention first base, D Gordon starting pitching outfield, um, and then bullpen, this is kind of the, the five key areas for me. Um, anything anything you want to add, or you think that's a, a decent outline? Yeah, I think that's a solid outline. I, I think, you know, never waver at the opportunity to, to add to your farm. Um, sure. You know, add uh, potentially, you know, you could add another compensatory pick like they did this year, and that Edwin 
Incarnacion deal. Jeez, I cannot talk <laughs> today. But uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> shut up. But yeah, uh, I think they could uh, they could do something like that and get creative. Um, I don't know. I I I think it's a it's a big off season for them in terms of just setting themselves up for for what's to come. And um, I think any way that you can be creative and do that, and we know that Jerry Depoto will be active and will be creative in whatever he does. And I'm sure there will be some deals that will leave us scratching our, our heads, but may make some sense later on. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait for all the speculation that we're going to get into over the next few months. Um, but right now, I just want to see how how the season ends and see where we stand on on certain things and, you know, what guys may, may jump out to us, you know, um, once Arkansas is done with their with their playoff run, which starts today. Uh, so, uh, so good luck to the Travs on that. And then, uh, you know, we'll see what guys come from there and you know, maybe someone like someone like Kyle Lewis actually, uh, actually jumps out to us this September and is in his limited time. And we start talking about him as a potential starting outfielder going into next season. There are plenty of, of options here for the, uh, for things to, uh, to shake out, uh, pretty interestingly. For the Mariners, so yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, um, I, I think for me, uh, I would say you don't shut off the uh, possibility to add to your farm system, uh, but I would be I'd be fairly disappointed if the Mariners' biggest addition uh, was a prospect. Um, does sure. that make yeah. sense? Yeah, uh, you have to add players to your 2020 roster um, this winter. They have to be pretty good players too, um, because just waiting naturally for Logan Gilbert and Kelnick and White and Lewis and Long and Dunn and Sheffield and Raleigh and Fraley and I'm sure I'm repeating myself by now. Um, just waiting for those guys to be naturally good big leaguers, it's going to take longer than a year or two, um, and so you need to add outside help, and it needs to be fairly significant. I mean, if you can go get. You know, uh, I don't know if you can go get Alex Kirilov or whatever, then yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, do that. Um, but if you're talking about adding another, you know, the big move this winter is that they added, I don't know, they added another Evan White type of player. I just, eh, I'd be disappointed a little bit. I mean, I'd be happy that they added a player like that in the system, but that's not going to help you in 2020. Even though the goal is not to win in 2020, you have to be better. And so you have to use this offseason to kind of raise your floor um, and add players who are going to help you in 2021 and beyond. And I think they have an opportunity to do that, and I think they will. So um, I, I just, I really hope that the, we're not, you know, trying to pump up a double A prospect who the Mariners acquired in, you know, in February instead of talking about, oh, hey, how's this rotation look with, you know, Zach Wheeler mm-hmm. at the number two spot or whatever. Yeah. Um, I hope that's what the type of stuff we're talking about. Yeah. But anyways, um, that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Soto Mojo podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Soto Mojo FS so you can send us questions, comments, concerns, ideas, um, 
and see if you want to try and get blocked. Uh, it's, I'm always open to blocking people. Uh, although I, I do tend to prefer the mute button. That, that works wonders for me. Um, but yeah, seriously, guys, it's a fun community to be a part of. We talk Mariners mostly. Uh, you know, occasionally we'll throw in some other stuff. Um, you know, we've been known to talk Game of Thrones, Marvel, um, video games, football. Um, and of course, you know, Seattle Mariners baseball and uh, baseball in general. Uh, we're also really well known for making fun of John Heyman and Bob Nightingale, if that's something you guys enjoy. So uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at SotoMojoFS. Uh, like Ty said earlier, make sure you visit the website, SotoMojo.com, uh, for all your Mariners content. You know, it's prospect heavy right now, and we're kind of wrapping up our 2019 season. But uh, pretty soon we're going to start really cranking out trade ideas and trade proposals and free agent profiles, and this guy makes sense and this guy doesn't. All the fun stuff that you guys love to read and we really like to write, that's all going to be out here in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start putting that out in the next couple of weeks, and uh, it's going to be an awesome offseason, guys. So uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of that awesome talk and make sure you visit the website uh, so you don't miss any uh, any cool things that we happen to write. So, um, Ty, any final words? Ten uh, seconds, go. No, I don't I don't have any final words. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just you put me on the spot here. Uh, play Braden Bishop in center field, please. Not in left. Thank you. No more Ryan Court against lefties. I've seen enough of that already. Yeah, no uh, more of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't need to be playing matchups in September at a as a 58 and 82 team. Uh, so you can stop with the Ryan Court stuff. Uh, I would love to see Shed Long or Jake Fraley or uh, or both, as well as Braden Bishop, uh, and hopefully eventually Kyle Lewis in a couple weeks. So uh, more of that, please. Less yes. Ryan, less Ryan Court. That's that's always a good plan, just in general. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys will stop and you'll watch the uh, the Double A Arkansas game tonight on Root Sports. Uh, it's going to be awesome, guys. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And we will see you in another life. Peace out. Peace.